Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 145. You got Chris and Brian, and this time around, we're going to talk about shooting handguns at night in the rain, doing practical shooting drills slash movement slash vision skills, uh, but otherwise having having some fun banging steel targets, you know, at night in the rain. Yeah, um, guys, this uh, this night started off at a at a kind of like in a twilight kind of thing, um, you know, in 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 Ohio. Um, it was, it was kind of light ish when we started. And by the time we got rocking and rolling, we were headed into twilight and then into dark, um, which provides a, a pretty good opportunity to see the transition in the way some systems work versus the way they don't, um, IE iron sights and things of that nature. Okay. Your visual acuity gets a little bit different. Um, when it's not dark enough for your night sight to glow, but it's not light enough for you to see your big orange dot of death as well. Um, because there is that time period where that, you know, that orange ring doesn't necessarily glow on itself. It's not self-luminescent, um, but it but it does provide something that's a little bit easier to pick up in that middling light. But at some point that, that dwindles and, and that's where having a light on your gun came into came into sharp contrast um, yes. pretty quickly. So, yeah. So um, uh, let's start off that, with, with what we got. Well, yeah. yeah. One other note on that. It gave a bunch of people. A really good opportunity to find out what their eyes are actually capable of now yeah absolutely yeah because in within our group most of the guys are are chasing or or at or beyond the age where um you know you're you're like the menus printed too small your arm's not long enough you've got glasses with different gradients in them now um i.e bifocals trifocals etc no lines whatever the case may be um and it was a pretty good opportunity to figure out that while you can make it work in the daylight you can make it work, you know, um, in, in, the, in the daylight, in good light, in perfect conditions. But when it starts getting crappy and then you throw in the rain and stuff like that, um, you get some odd glares. You get some odd surfaces reflecting and stuff like that once everything's wet, too. Yeah. Um, so, th- yeah, th- this was, a, to my mind, this was a pretty awesome training night. Um, and, and we get to the end of it and kind of talk about things learned. Um, there, there were definitely some things picked up, even though nothing we did was new. It was just presented in the right circumstances to kind of have a couple ahas. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so let's start off with what, 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 what do we do? Yeah. So we started off with a drill called distance changeup. Um, this is two targets at about five yards. Um, they are about one yard apart uh, horizontally. Mm-hmm. And then a third target is right in between those two, but that one is distance-wise at about 15 yards. Okay. Uh, so you're... The idea is two tar- two rounds on each target. Uh, it forces you to go really fast on the first two, and then you're slowing down to get a hit on the, the distant one. Uh, officially, this is supposed to get run on like USPSA backers, but it was raining and cardboard gets soggy in the rain. Yep. So we went to steel targets. Uh, so we're shooting uh, what quarter size steel targets? Yeah. So two, they're two, quarter, bit- two quarter size zip six up close. Yeah. And roughly, then, are, are they 12 by 18 or are they a little smaller than that? Maybe a little smaller than that. A little smaller than that, yeah. Uh, not quite a C zone, so they did keep you somewhat honest. Yeah. And then that plate at 15 was what? That's a 10 inch circle, 12 no. inch circle? Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's a four. Yeah, it's bigger. A little than plate's four. a four or a six. It's the little, okay. it was the little one. Maybe it's a six. Yeah. Um, it's roughly the size of the head box on, yeah. a, on a backer. Uh, so definitely, you know, making you slow down and get that. Slow down to see what you needed to, and then not mess up the trigger press to get the hits at 15. 
Yeah. And, and guys, when you, you know, kind of a side note, when you start playing around with steel, um, there's, there's a lot of, you know, listening for confirmation uh, as much as looking for confirmation. You know, when you get those folks who, who, uh, you know, with, with one of the fundamentals of shootings is, is the follow through and calling your shot, you know, knowing where the sites were exactly when things broke. Um, and, and that, that small steel plate's not super noisy, but the big ones are, and they're making a lot of noise and giving you a lot of feedback, telling you what's going on. The small plate does not. And, and when you get into low light, get in the dark, it gets really, really hard when you're having a hard front sight focus because of crappy light conditions, um, trying to figure out what that plate was doing. And even with a dot, to some extent, you can still see through and see the plate and see what's going on. Um, but because of the conditions, it was difficult. These, we, we don't go out and paint these often. We don't paint these plates, bright contrasting colors, um, for a number of reasons, but primarily among them, because, you know, what you may be shooting at may not have a great big contrasted bullseye on it or yeah. a big flashing neon sign saying, you know, apply bullets here. Um, so, you know, we don't generally paint the plates up for contrast, like you would see in a competition environment or whatever. For that reason, you need to be able to find the target, and sometimes that's a challenge. Um, th I think a lot of guys got that follow-through lesson was one of the things that wasn't even part of this. It's just a shooting fundamental that reared its ugly head. If you had your fundamentals down and you could call your shots, you knew you were hitting that little plate and could move on. If you were going too fast and you're looking at the guy running the timer and he's going, are you going to shoot the little plate now that you've shot 17 flipping times? Um, you know, there's like, oh, crap, back to fundamentals, uh, especially for the guys running irons. Yeah. Um, I do think that the follow through thing with the dot is a little it's all easier. Everything with the dots easier, um, but it was still there to some extent. So that was kind of cool. I actually liked that unintended consequence of running that plate. That plate is an attention getter. Yeah. So um, the guys with the optics didn't have a significant advantage up close. The, I agree. The guys with the optics had a significant advantage at 15 yards plus. Um, that that changed things dramatically. Um, the guys with the lights who could make them work also had a significant advantage advantage on the smaller target because of the lack of contrast and the heart. It was hard to see. Um, but on the up close targets, even when it got dark, it still wasn't dark enough that the up close targets were much of a challenge. Um, so, so bearing those things in mind, optics and lights are still a plus no matter what. Um, you still have to understand how to use both of them. Uh, I was running a TLR7, and I do not have a lot of reps. This will be the first run of low-light shooting that I've done with the TLR7 on the gun. Um, yeah, that's actually a 7A. So yeah, 7A uh, just flex. To yeah, so yeah, just to be clear, the, the 7, um, the switching is a train wreck on the TLR7, but on the 7A, or the flex, whatever you want to call it, they fixed it. Um, also on the 7A subs, uh, they all have the push buttons on the yeah. rear that operate similarly to the Surefire X300 where you press from the rear to make the light work. But it does have a, it, it, it's not just momentary though, it does have a constant on function as well. You have to learn. Um, drawing and pushing the button was not a big deal. I'm just not used to running it in that fashion versus the Surefire. So, um, so, it, you know, so, so some of my times when I finally decided, okay, I have an opportunity to get the reps in, um, I had to take a moment to figure out which way was up and that's on me. That's something that's totally trainable. It's something I've worked on since then too. Um, that, that little light is not the same as an X300. It is not a space owning device like a thousand lumen X300 or a thousand lumen TLR1 HL. Um, I, I haven't played around with it as far as blinding myself. 
uh, 500 lumens is a fair amount of light in a confined space like a room or at close distances. Um, we'll get into a little more with that light where we ended up at the end of the night with the walk back. Uh, but I would say that light is sufficient. If you've identified a thread, it's sufficient for putting light between you and it, and it's sufficient for seeing what's going on probably to about 30 yards, maybe a little less than that, maybe only 25. If you need to identify what's in someone's hands, you might want more light than that on the gun. Um, as a civilian in a gunfight, if it's, you know, 30 yards, I'm going to try and leave if I can. Yes. So just a, just a sidestep onto that specific topic of that light. Um, we saw a, a lot of guys struggling with that six inch plate at 15 or 20 yards, whatever that distance was. Um, and because of the lack of feedback, yeah, uh, which was pretty interesting to me until everybody kind of realized that they weren't going to get feedback on that light. And once they are on that target, once they realized they weren't going to get feedback, then everybody kind of buckled down and made the hits. And it was like, okay, why, why, why weren't you doing right. this to begin with? So, and I was one of them for me, a culpa, me a maxima culpa on that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that the little plate was a little bit, of, was kind of a change from what we've been doing recently Yeah, where it was up. I wouldn't say up close, but it was definitely speed. Yeah. Uh, but on a bigger, you know, if you were getting C-zone hits on a USPSA target, yeah, sort of acceptable, Yeah, uh, which C-zone is a whole lot bigger than a six-inch plate. Absolutely. And and so, and, and so is a five-ring um, yeah. on a B8. When you got to the five-ring, you're about eight and a half inches on that five-ring. And if I, I like to make references to pizza, um, you know, if you increase the circumference or the diameter of your pizza just a little bit, you can double the amount of pizza. Um, going from a six inch target to an eight and a half inch target, uh, you're at least doubling the size of that target. I could do the math if I wanted to, but I don't, um, it involves pie and yeah. Ooh, I like stuff. pie. I just don't like it R squared. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, you're, it's, it is, it is a substantially larger target than that little six inch plate. But having said that 15 to 20 yards, six inch plate really shouldn't be that big a deal unless you're trying to go fast. Yeah. Um, and so that was what everybody was kind of working on and everybody figured out that if they slowed down just a, not even a lot, if they slowed down just a little bit, they took a few tenths off of their, their split time or added a 10th or two to their split time. Um, they were, they were making that hit on that little plate up close. Everybody was burning it down, whether it was dark or not. Uh, we did have one guy running a handheld light on those drills. Um, actually really good at getting the handheld light into the game, combining the draw stroke with the light. Um, uh, he was he was doing really well there, but it does take some time at distance to align. And now all your shootings, in this case, was one-handed because of the methodology for running the light. Um, so the time slowed down significantly, um, but but not as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. Not as bad as I would have been, I don't think. Um, and the hits are pretty solid, uh, even for shooting one-handed. So yeah, I wasn't that wasn't too far off. So God, God love him. You know, He's, apparently there's some apparently there's a foundational aspect to that knowledge for this individual because they did pretty well with it. Um, but it also diametrically opposed the speed of everybody running the light on the gun. Everybody running the yeah. light on the gun was was going quite a bit faster. So there's an advantage there uh, because I think there's definitely some skills for the guy who was shooting one handed with the light in the other hand. Yeah, so. and he spent what probably the better part of 35 years gaining those skills. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, not not sitting on them, but working on them. So this is a dude who sharpens his saw. So yeah, for sure. Um, we we went. Anything else to add to that specific drill, or can we press on into kind of the changes that we did yeah, we with the movement? On. Okay, okay, cool. Um, the the next thing we did was uh, a, a kind of u using the same targets downrange, 
and the same mentality as you start out where you were like drawing, getting a couple quick hits on a larger target and maybe a couple quick hits on a smaller target, but then you had a third target that was obscured by cover or concealment, whatever you want to call it, it didn't really matter because it was a visual aspect. We were looking more for the visual aspect of finding a, a, a third target. Yeah. So you had to engage the first two targets in that change-up kind of mentality um, only because they were size different, not, in, not because they were in different places. Because um, then we brought them up next to each other. They were, they were fairly yeah. close to yeah. each other at that yeah. point. Um, so you were engaging two, two shots, two targets, and then moving not to a point of cover so much as to a visual aspect of where's the next target at, what could you see? Um, and so sort of so, like an El Prez drill with a barrel in the middle of the thing. Yeah, where you couldn't see that third target kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, and so and, and that creates some some differential of even though it was dark and you couldn't necessarily see the targets until you drew and hit your light, you, you, it was more than you knew where the other target was. In this case you really didn't. You had to move to find it and see it. Um, we were using the cover or concealment as cover or concealment as well. We were trying to, you know, not get guys to blow past it and then shoot, um, but also not necessarily pying. It was just that visual aspect of movement, knowing that it was there kind of mentality. Um, this, again, another seeing what's going on kind of drill and adding a little bit of movement to it. Um, this drill ended up running. We ran a number of different permutations, and we had a number of people who changed up how they ran it. Uh, we had a couple guys who were confident enough in their movement to draw under movement, shoot the first big target, settle onto the second target, and then shoot the third, which was kind of cheating, but it also kind of worked really well. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we, we saw some guys, you know, solve that problem differentially from others, uh, take some time off, you know, and, and again, as a seeing drill, not a tactical drill, the aspect of moving like that, you were going for time. There was a timer involved, and and, and Mac J was, was speeding that up, pushing the envelope a little mm -hmm. bit, doing that. Um, it also brought to light movement aspects. We have some guys in the group who are athletic and move very well, and then we have me. Um, and and so there are definitely some, you could tell the guys that move well versus the guys that don't too, because that transition time in movement was significant, whereas the shot splits and the hits on the target weren't a huge differential. Yeah, and we still talk about movement here. Like yeah. the amount of movement you had to do was about four steps. If, if, if that. If yeah. even that. Yeah, maybe, um, so maybe two large steps. I actually moved a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, yep. This was not a like sprint to the next position. It was more move to the next position with intent. Yeah. Uh, but be ready to shoot as soon as you get there and you get visual. As soon as you can see the target, you should be engaging it. Yeah, the intent was to move gun up. <clears throat> the intent was to move yeah. gun up. You knew you were taking the shot. Again, it wasn't a tactical decision-making drill. It was a visual drill get to the point, shoot the target kind of mentality. Um, and we do have a couple of guys in the group who, who really, um, they, they move pretty fast. They're, they're pretty good runners. Um, and apparently they like to do it. And then they like to do big, like shushing type stops, like skiers do at the end where you run downhill and then you kick sideways and throw a bunch of snow up. Um, there's some guys who like to do that with gravel, Andrew. Um, and, and, and actually he toned it down too. Um, but it was just kind of fun to see the differential in, Fat, old, slow guys like me, and then dudes who can really move but overdo it, and then guys who actually have the athleticism and <laughs> to kind of find the right place in the middle. Um, so this is where the seeing aspect of the drill also brought some movement into the conversation. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, I, I thought everybody did pretty well on those um, in, in finding things and not overexposing themselves. Again, we weren't pie in the corner. You weren't looking for the smallest edge. Um, my mentality on that was to start shooting as soon as I could see it. So I, I was 
by the time I, by the time I saw it and got stopped and the gun was already up, I was shooting. So like maybe the first shot was on the visual cue of the edge of the target. But by the time the shot broke, I could probably see the whole plate. Yeah. And that's kind of how I was trying to run it was just seeing what I needed to see to get started and then putting the shot where I needed to go as I stopped kind of mentality or got slowed down enough to shoot. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a, a number of guys who, again, running through this drill, the guys tried different things. We moved it left to right. We moved it right to left um, and made some further changes to it as well. But just once they got into the mentality of as soon as you can see the target hit it twice, um, and so there were a couple times where it was kind of nice to see guys react super quickly, but it was kind of a teachable moment to watch guys go way past cover concealment and get out in the open and say, okay, did you, do you need to be all the way out here? Or could you see it back almost a full step at times? Oh. Yeah. So then everybody kind of got control. And I think as everybody got control of what the drill was supposed to be, even though they weren't moving as aggressively, they got faster through the drill. Yeah. I think that that's sort of the, like the being able to take the shot as soon as you can see it comes down to how well you can ride the brakes yeah into the to be able to shoot and if you're trying to sprint four yards you can't slow down in four yards yeah or you can't slow down in a yard from a sprint yeah so actually just taking you know four deliberate steps yeah. got you where you needed to be so you can engage immediately and there's rather than having a delay of trying to break yeah. hard yeah no for sure um, yeah yeah, I mean the like, ooh, let's let's go sliding into second base probably looks really cool. Yeah. In a video, but it's not necessarily very effective. Yeah, well, it's not efficient. If you're trying to shoot at it's, the same yeah, it's time. not efficient because while you're sliding, it's hard to make that shot on that small of a target at that distance. If it was a, if it had been a great big backer at three yards, sure. Um, but on that smaller target at seven to ten yards or whatever it was, um, you know, a different game for sure. Yeah. So uh, we we went um, the big push was seeing the third target. The big push was getting onto the third target visually. Uh, and there were a couple of guys who chose to draw, shoot the other two targets because you could see them well enough in middling or, or low light, um, but then hit the light as they moved to find a third target. Um, and back to, it's a lot easier to shoot things you can see well, yeah. and the light does that. Um, so, and the same thing with the optic. Um, if you were moving with the gun up, shooting the third target wasn't a big deal. If you were moving with the gun down, there were a lot of guys who were dragging again, trying to get sight alignment, sight picture, and sight or sight alignment and sight picture both. Yeah. When if they'd kept the gun up, they wouldn't have been fighting that. And the guys with the dots, if they kept the gun up, it was just move and pop. So. Yeah. The other thing that this drill did was it forced you to maintain your grip. Yep. Through the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, still so a six you, shot drill at minimum. Yeah. If you broke your grip moving to that third target, you had to reestablish your grip. Yeah. To be able to get an effective second shot. Yeah. And I think that messed some people up. Too. Yep, absolutely. So, um, and if you notice too, guys, you know, one of the things that we've done a lot of here, um, you know, we talked about on the podcast, the last few podcasts where we talked about shooting handguns, um, the the grip, the structure of the grip is a, is a big deal. You know, we talked about going out there online and finding some of those videos um, about guys who break grip down to the nth degree. If you're doing your grip properly at, it's at a certain distance, you're shooting um, is, is not reactive. Um, your shooting is, you know, your, you, you, oh, whatever terminology you want to use. Um, but it's predictive shooting, not reactive shooting. Am I saying that right? He's talking about the first shot or the second shot. I honestly, on the bigger targets, both on the, on the big silhouette at those distances, I feel like those shots, once you got 
the sight picture on the first, or you got the gun up on the first one, you could double tap those. But I think going back to the reactive aspect to it on the small target, you were pushing that. So I think the second shot on the bigger targets, no matter what, should have yeah, been a should have been a predictive shot. And even and even for some of those, like the first shot, if you were coming out of the target and you could see the first target at those distances, some of that I think was predictive. I could just come yeah, up and double was, that target. It was like confirmation one. Yeah. Uh, if you go back a few podcasts, we talk yeah. about that. Uh, so you're really just you know you're using the rear of the gun as an index. Yeah. Uh, or you know maybe the outline of your yeah. optic. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was very much we're just indexing the gun briefly yeah. and getting getting in the gun. Yeah. yeah, getting in the game. Yeah, get, getting in the fight quickly and getting the in. And again, not being on paper, being on steel, get your two pings and go on. But that middle plate, again, back to that small plate, you yeah. needed to confirm it. You needed to make sure that you were calling your shots. So, and once and once everybody got into that mentality, I think people started making that hit a lot more consistently rather than waiting for the ting and trying to figure out. When then we had some guys shoot it three, four, five times, who were making the hits but weren't trusting it, weren't yeah. trusting the the shot weren't trusting the visual aspect of what they were seeing and once they got into trusting that and going okay i'm making the hits then it was okay let's speed it up a little bit so that was pretty cool um from there we started moving cover we started moving targets and got a lot more into finding things um so you're slowing the process down from a movement perspective but you're still chasing down the visual aspect of where do i need to be to see something and then we added in the third part, more of the tactics, we added in the idea of not exposing yourself to multiple targets at the same time if you could. Um, you know, part of the nature of finding things is sometimes you find more things than you want to find at one time. Um, so you had to address that or move appropriately, meaning if you found two targets at one time, the way the cover was set up on the range, you could sidestep one way or the other and make one of those targets go away. But then you presented yourself with a reintroducing yourself at a different place mentality are you you know were you popping back out the same place then when you moved to shoot yeah. the third target and so there's a little bit of we got into a little bit of tactics toward the end of the night running that stuff um at that point i think everybody was running lights as much as they could um and and again that the times for the drill slowed way down because the focus on the drill slowed way down but it was still that visual aspect of what you're doing moving appropriately and finding targets and trying to tactically put yourself in a position where you didn't have to fight two things at one time. Then um, I felt like that was a pretty strong way to end up the drills portion of the night. And at that point, I think everybody was cued in enough that, that they were drilling the targets pretty fast. It was just a matter of deciding which way you wanted to solve the problem. And again, we came up with some guys doing some different things, maybe not all tactically sound. Sometimes it was east side of Dayton aggression, just killing stuff and burning it down. Um, other times it was a little more thoughtful. So, yeah. Yeah. And for this drill, we were on all three targets were the, the quarter size M6. Uh, we took oh, the okay. plate away. Okay. Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I don't think I like, I don't know that made that much difference. <laughs> uh, and this is definitely another place where that, you know, being able to move deliberately and yep. with intent, um, was a lot more efficient than trying to race around, yeah. um, where you were at, especially when it came time to keep in mind where you were at in relation to you know, two targets you didn't know where they were yet along with these pillars of barrels that were cover or concealment yeah uh, so a lot of spatial positioning and playing angles yep and working lights and things thinking all at the same time thinking and, Ooh. yeah also being being able to to use your entire vision 
obviously we're seeing stuff, you know, out of your peripheral vision to orient and yeah. you're trying to trying to stay in front of your own OODA loop. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not not get inside your own turn. Screw yourself up. Um, I, I've I've here just fairly recently I've tripped over a couple of Frank Proctor videos and and Frank talks a lot about, you know, the visual aspect of shooting. Shooting is a visual sport, a visual adventure. Um, and and so that that came up and you're yeah, you're how fast do you want to shoot? What should your cadence sound like? It should sound just like how fast you can see your target. And so working on the visual aspect and seeing what you're doing makes a big deal. I do think it's interesting to do some of those drills at night. I, I wish we could do the opposite. I wish we could shoot from like four in the morning and then go into daylight yeah. and see what that looks like. I'd like to do that backwards sometime. Um, just from the aspect that it does seem like when you start doing stuff at night and solving those problems, it's more difficult. It's almost like putting on a pair of like work gloves to shoot with and then going back to bare hand shooting and realizing how much more tactile feedback you get from the gun. You realize how much more tactile or how much more visual feedback you have from your environment when the lights are on. Yeah. So uh, I'd love to do that backward for giggles, but it definitely it definitely changes. You're you're working on how you see things and seeing things better. And so I I enjoyed that that progression of drills throughout the night uh, forced you to do more and more and more seeing. So. Yeah, we mentioned it was it was dark and raining the whole time. Yeah, or mostly raining uh, towards the end of the night. There, the well, rain the, definitely picked up. Yeah, too. in the last half of the shooting, I mean, once it got dark, it was raining pretty good. Um, it was windy and crappy the entire time, but once it got dark, it was raining pretty hard. It was pretty nasty. Yeah. It was misty and crappy the entire time. Um, I was surprised um, because of the fact that for the first hour it was like not sleeting; it was misty and blowing mist. I was surprised that nobody with optics had trouble with the windows of the optics getting wetted out or misted up or starting to see like huge starbursts from liquid. Yeah. Um, but really, I, I don't think anybody really struggled with that. Um, it, it, so that was pretty cool because there's always this conversation around um, the same conversations we had 20 years ago or 30 years ago about putting optics on rifles. Well, what if it gets wet? Well, what if it gets dirty? What if, what if, what if, what if? Um, it, it is an improvement on the gun. It makes the gun a better tool. And so it was interesting to see under those conditions, there, there was, there was really no disparity or no, no downside, um, to doing the optic on the gun. So it was pretty cool. I, I like that confirmation as well, uh, for that tool for a lot of the guys. Yeah. So, um, and it, and it really makes me want to get an optic back on my gun. Um, I need to get off my butt and do that. So, uh, last thing we do is a walk back. Um, the TLR-7A Flex will get you to 50 yards on a very low contrast target in the rain, in the dark, just flipping barely. As good as it is at 25 or 30 because it's comfortable and it's small, um, at, at 50 yards you are right on the edge. If something's moving, you can probably see it moving. I don't care if the box says what the box says about how far you can see with it. That's under perfect conditions um, with contrast, with movement. But with something, eyes. Yeah, with 18-year-old eyes. With, with, a, with a steel plate that's been shot, that's not painted, there's no contrast in the rain, in the dark. Um, 50 yards was a lot of bring the gun up a couple times and make sure the shadow you're seeing of the target was the right shadow and then pressing the shot off and not managing to screw that part up. Um, I'm going to say 50 yards is about it. If it was clear and maybe you had a high contrast target, maybe there's more distance there. But I think in a real-world situation, if you if you had muzzle flashes coming at you and you'd been in a gunfight and you hadn't lost sight of the bad guy or the muzzle flashes that hadn't changed and you needed to take a shot at that distance, 
I still don't think you should. I think you should leave. But if you had to, I think at 50 yards, you could probably just shoot at the flipping muzzle flash <laughs> without hitting the light yeah. and making yourself a bigger target. But, uh, you know, if you, if you wanted one last confirmation to go, okay, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a people shooting at me or whatever, then you could. Uh, I don't know if you could identify a gun at 50 yards. Maybe a rifle, a long gun. Maybe yeah. you could, but I don't know. Uh, so, like I said, you're right at the edge of that. So, uh, we, we tend to talk in detail about our experience with different lighting systems, but it's usually geared more toward rifles. In this case, the 7A is a new light. Um, it, it performs admirably, and the switching function is, is, is what it should be. I'll tolerate having a little less light for the comfort. So, I'm, I'm soft. I don't like big lights poking me. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? No. Uh, yeah. As far as running, like, you know, we're all running concealed under jackets. Yep. Uh, if you have proper draw technique, being able to move, you know, a hard shell that's zipped up out of the way uh, yep. is not insurmountable. Uh, but again, you got to have solid, you know, solid draw the gun fundamentals. Yeah. And have well, those squared away and, and know how to do it with layers on. Absolutely. And you need to vet your gear for that. Um, for that night, I was running an Audi Gear hard shell. Um, one of their newer, I don't think it's their patrol parka or something like that. Um, it has zero flex whatsoever. Um, it, it has great zipper and, and air movement management as a, as a coat, but it's sized and shaped to be worn as a military garment, meaning you've got your gear over it rather than under it. Um, drawing from that would be a miserable experience, except that it has a two-way zipper that you can cheat with. So if you were going to run that jacket, um, you know, and, and versus some of the Arcteric stuff, some of the TAD stuff has a lot of flex built into it. Um, and it's not quite as tight around the waist because it's not designed to run a war belt or whatever over it. Um, so, you know, again, picking the right garment for the situation, that jacket, if it didn't have a a two-way zipper uh, would not have been tenable to get the gun out um, in, in the way it fits me anyway. Yeah. Uh, but it's not what it's designed for either, in all fairness. Uh, and the other thing, too, is though it was brilliantly waterproof. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I actually had on a uh, Black Diamond, like, Dortex yeah. jacket. Um, comes down to about just below your pockets. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, yeah, didn't have the drawstring at the bottom, yep. cinched down or anything, and was able to, to get... I think under two and a quarter, you know, the first shot with turning the light on. Yeah, you you were consistently around two seconds. Um, it seemed yeah. like for most of the drills, I was once I started chasing the light, my times dropped way down. I was pushing like two fours and two fives a number of times, trying to figure out how to get the damn light on um, until I wimped out and stopped using it for a few reps, and then went back to trying it. But yeah, I, I'm my I need to work on that. I I'd love to see two seconds ish with the light and. I should be, but I haven't put the effort or the time or the work in yet, so I'm bad. All right. Yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, we are still on IG um, as of this moment. Uh, be on lookout for a backup page uh, sometime in the near future, along with potentially moving to other platforms. Um, the commie bastards at Meta or Facebook or Zucker Hell or whatever they're calling yeah. themselves these days. Yeah. Uh, don't understand the meaning of words and how to apply them. Well, they're socialists. Because uh, they're, they're commies. They're socialists, yeah. 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 Uh, also, we're on Facebook. Uh, you can search for, search for us on IG and Facebook. Uh, search for Cap City Outfitters. As we get new things in at the store, um, training experiences, training drills, etc., that's generally where they get posted. 
Uh, we also do an email newsletter once a week. You can sign up for that on our website at capcityoutfitters.com or drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. Also on our website, you can find uh, information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at silencershop.com. And then come see us at the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's. Uh, we're right next to Louis Fusion Grill. We're here 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Appreciate it.